This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Thursday, August 18th, we welcome you to a special best of edition of Real Talk. This week, we've been looking back at some of the interviews that have really resonated with us and you over the past few months. And that certainly includes a powerful conversation with RCMP Sergeant Carrie Shima, who joined us back on July 4th to shine some light on an integrated cross-border law enforcement collaboration after a young girl from Alberta went missing discovered by police in the United States, as a matter of fact, and returned home to her family. Sergeant Shima told us about the work that the Internet Child Exploitation, or ICE unit, does and provided some perspective on exactly how swamped they are. Now, Sergeant Shima's interview with us led to a parent reaching out, and you're going to hear from her later in this episode as well. But first, a word from our sponsors. Apex Automation is putting out the call to engineers across Canada who are looking to make the most of their career and provide intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry. Are you dissatisfied where you are now? Do you feel underappreciated? Do you feel like your professional development opportunities are capped? Is there a problem with your corporate culture? Apex Automation could be your next best move. Check them out online at apexautomation.ca. Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge has Alberta's best selection of Chrysler, Jeep, and Ram trucks. You can check them out online or in person today and browse their new and pre-owned selection. Whether you're looking to upsize to make room for a new family member or downsize based on fuel costs, you'll find your perfect fit online or in person at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Local Environmental Services has been providing waste and recycling management services in Alberta and now Saskatchewan for more than a quarter century. They're still family-owned. Some people say it's only garbage, but not to local environmental services. They believe communities deserve better. Whether you're looking for water hauling, vacuum truck services, fencing, portable toilets, or front load bins, you can get your quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Eden Landscaping is bringing outdoor spaces to life. In fact, that's what they've been doing for more than 20 years, Mike and his team are experts from modern to traditional design and everything in between. Their projects have one thing in common, happy clients. You can check out their portfolio online today at landscapeedmonton.ca and take the first step toward bringing your outdoor space to life with Eden Landscaping. The Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you they have a brand new signature stack burger collection ready for you to check out. Of course, all the classic favorites like that Dairy Queen double cheeseburger and some of the new ones like the signature steakhouse stacker with that onion ring on top. Of course, the big lineup of Blizzard speaks for itself. And don't forget to grab a box of Buster Bars the next time you're at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, New Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. A 13-year-old Edmonton girl was uh, declared missing. She was reported missing back on June 24th by her family after she didn't show up at school. And for the next number of days, of course, folks felt sick as thousands shared social media posts, as people stapled up missing person posters uh, to, to lamp posts and to tree trunks and everything else that you do to s- try to spread the word when someone has inexplicably, uh, well, basically for all intents and purposes, disappeared. Her name's Lila Smith, and she was discovered by authorities uninjured in a hotel in Portland, Oregon on Saturday morning. This uh, this uh, arrest of a 41-year-old Oregon man, the recovery of this 13-year-old girl was made possible because of investigators like our next guest, Sergeant Kerry Shima with the RCMP as the operations NCO for the Alert Northern Alberta Internet Child Exploitation Unit, otherwise known as the ICE unit. He served for more than 20 years with the RCMP with 
postings in Redwater, Hinton, in national security in more than a decade in the K-Division Serious Crimes Branch. Kind enough to join us this morning. Sergeant Shima, thank you for your time. This is this is obviously, I mean, aside from no abduction in the first place, uh, this is the outcome that people hope and pray for. Uh, this really uh, a remarkable story, but I suppose one that you see far too often, probably more than people realize. Good morning, Ryan. Thanks again for having me on. Um, yeah, and first of all, uh, huge kudos to all of the law enforcement agencies involved in uh, the investigation, particularly at the back end where uh, there was some international coordination. Um, quite a remarkable story. Uh, and of course, uh, we don't want to see any of this happening in the first place. And um, that's, it's, it, that's kind of our area. And, and we all know that um, some of the... Uh, the investigation surrounded some child luring so hopefully we can uh we can talk about some of that today yeah i want to i want to talk big picture stuff with you and i want to make very clear to our audience and obviously to you that you're not in a position to discuss anything specifically related to this case and and quite frankly a lot of it is none of our business our thoughts are with this young girl and her family right now the relief they must be feeling at the same time i'm sure significant healing that's going to have to happen but generally speaking when something like this happens when a, when a young person uh, is reported missing by family members when investigators like you get involved where do you start i mean do, do you do you automatically to a certain degree assume that there may have been or in some circumstances probably was some contact uh, between a young person and their abductor like can you take us into the psyche and how investigators approach a case like this well and it and it does especially in this day and age um and I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little biased, and have some more experience than than you know street level investigators with uh, the internet crime. So that's something, yeah, that's something where we're we're going to go right away. Um, typically, with kids, that's it's probably a pretty safe assumption that they're going to be at some point speaking to someone that they don't know on the internet. Uh, it's a very big place, and um, regardless of some of the the safeguards that we have in place uh, on the platforms or are on these applications and even through uh, household rules or school rules, kids are going to find a way or someone's going to find a way into their lives. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, some children wind up in some pretty precarious situations. Obviously, completely unaware of who they're actually talking about. Uh, you interacted with uh, someone who I know to be a real talker. I appreciate Sarah's M's tweets to the show. Um, on July 2nd, she shared, and maybe you can explain exactly what this is, Sergeant, to those of us that don't know. She said, check your kids' discords. Uh, Sarah says, that's where I found the predator that was trying to lure my kid they followed all the textbook steps, not knowing I had taken over the conversation. You amplified that message. You said it's real. You said if you're not switched on to what your kids are doing, child luring can happen in your own house. No matter who a parent is, no matter how old their kids are, this is the type of message from an expert like you that's going to cause people to stop in their tracks. So let's start. What's Discord? How is this happening? Let's talk about some of the techniques that these predators are using. Discord is just another it's another platform that's really popular around the world. It's not just for it's not just children. It's a gaming platform um, where people are going to communicate about the video games that they're playing or online um, experiences. There is a social media aspect to that uh, that application as well, where people can communicate privately and openly. And um, it's not unlike a lot of more, some of our more, I guess, for us, for us older, older people, um, uh, Facebook or um Instagram where you can communicate with people, but it's it's primarily a place for kids to gather or people who are gamers to gather and communicate with each other. And uh, just like just like anywhere else where there's um, where there's children, there's going to be people who are looking to exploit them. And these are um, target rich environments where predators know that this is where kids are going to be. And the grooming that's um, your, your real talker there didn't uh, outlined, um, is typical. Like we're seeing stuff like, um, you're just getting, you're just gaining kids trust. That's all they're doing. And it's finding things, finding commonalities, uh, or, or things that kids like, and then, 
um, feigning a commonality so that you can gain their trust or get them talking, um, giving compliments and things like that. Um, and once they gain their trust, typically from a Discord, um, it, it, we use this one as an example. So the kids on Discord will be communicating with someone who they believe is peer aged, their own age or somewhere around their own age or someone that they can trust that person is going to groom them or is going to build some sort of a rapport with them and ultimately move them off of that Discord platform to a more private application such as Snapchat um, or Instagram or an application called Kick. Some of these applications have that ability to send pictures, images, uh, videos, audio, uh, text messages, or I guess not text messages, but um, direct messages. So that's where and that's where those images start getting sent out or these children wind up in a position where they feel they can't get out and have no choice but to send um, pictures or images and even in our you know our our worst case scenario they wind up having to meet with these people because of fear of uh, what they might do to family or um, that these pictures and images are going to get out so mm. that goes into something else I was going to talk about later sextortion and um, some self-generated uh, child sexual abuse material, but that's how it generally happens. And I'm pretty sure that that's how that tweeter was, was think was what I'm pretty sure that's what she was seeing. Well, yeah, is, well, let's get into this. Sergeant is let me clarify. So Sarah goes on to say uh, they were pretending uh, to be a 10 year old. Like you just said, they sent pictures and everything, obviously that weren't of them. Uh, they said they took her over to, is it Roblox? It's like an online gaming platform. Is that right? Roblox. Uh, they said they tried getting her phone number from there. And Sarah says, once I caught on, uh, they were asking for pictures of her in her underwear. I mean, it happens fast. Happens super fast. Sometimes um, sometimes we're seeing some of these uh, happen just like that, like in a matter of, I don't know, you know, a couple dozen, three dozen messages. And then sometimes it's grooming that takes, you know, that, that covers a period of a month or two or um, or longer, but I think the ultimate uh, the ultimate goal for these predators is to exploit the kids either through obtaining images and videos or actually meeting with them. And uh, I mean, and, and to understand what child luring is, a lot of people say, "Oh, my child was lured or my child was groomed," and they don't understand exactly what that means. But they know, generally speaking, child luring is. Um, the, the offense in the criminal code is section 172.1 subsection one and anyone who communicates by way of a tele of telecommunications with a minor for the purposes of uh there's a the myriad of offenses for the purposes of making child pornography so um to be clear making child pornography doesn't mean you have to videotape um a sexual assault on a child or something like that it could be that you're directing these children to take pictures of themselves in underwear and send it to um, that predator. That's making child pornography. It's it's images for with the sexual purpose, sexual interference, kidnapping, sexual assault. So that's child luring. So anyone who communicates with a minor by way of telecommunications for the purpose of basically every sexual offense in the criminal code is committing child luring. How how does a person like you? Uh, that has the knowledge and experience that you do like I just I have to imagine you and your colleagues in this ICE unit internet child exploitation it's it's got to be some of the heaviest lifting in law enforcement um, I can't imagine the, what you deal with and and the things that you have to process and and the fact that you continue to approach your job every single day but but you must be aware uh, more aware obviously hyper aware of what's out there and who's out there and i would imagine that if the average person including me had the knowledge that you do about who's out there and what they're doing we probably wouldn't let our kids online at all and i know that for a lot of parents they're going to say well that's not realistic and i don't want to sort of like bubble parent or helicopter parent i want my kids to be, to, to be savvy and to know how to spot the signs of danger and to know what to do in those circumstances but but how do you reconcile that balance? How do you find that balance? What do you tell parents that are looking at this story going, that could have been my daughter. That could have been my son. Absolutely. Um, I'm a parent of teens as well. And um, we're learning on the fly. Like we're our generation. When we grew up, we're in when the lights, when the streetlights come on. 
that's when we come in. And if we don't, we're, you know, we're, you know, you, you know what you're in for with your parents if you're not on time or you're, or you're disobeying certain rules in the house. Um, this is a whole new brand of childhood and growing up where we have the entire world, literally speaking, at our fingertips. And what has to happen is, and we, we never blame the children. These are, the kids do not have the experience that we have. The kids do not have the experience their teachers have, um, their grandparents. So we cannot blame the kids, especially when we ourselves do not understand a lot of these applications. So it is incumbent upon parents, childcare workers, guardians to make the effort and to spend time with their kids online. We need to get engaged. Like we have to get engaged with your kids, build the trust. When something goes wrong, you want your children to know what to do. Mm. And you want them to be able to stop in their tracks and not continue on that rabbit hole, you know, where it's, where our, um, you know, where your listener there had, had said, like, I, I ran that person through um, the steps. And then they were asking for uh, pictures and numbers. We don't want those kids going down that rabbit hole. We want them to be able to recognize the signs and then have the confidence in us as parents and teachers and guardians that they can come to us and there's not going to be a massive guilt trip or a lecture or punishment because we've made a mistake online. We'd be hard pressed to find any human being on the planet who hasn't been tricked online by, by something. No um, kidding. And this, and then this fits right into what I know you wanted to revisit, which is this, this extortion angle, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like you've got, like it's maybe easier said than done, uh, to convince your child, hey, listen, we're not going to there, there's not going to be punishment. We're not going to be angry if you need to come with us for something. Um, for a lot of parents, probably the reality might be a little bit bone chilling. But 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 like you've alluded to a lot of these kids, their their predator, their their groomer, whatever you want to refer to this person as uh, will hold a certain power over them because they believe they can extort them. Right. If you don't do this, we will show this. Uh, you know, images or whatever that have already been provided. So so how do parents navigate those waters? I mean, how do you. I mean, I guess I'm asking you for not just policing advice, but for parenting advice as well. How do you create that type of, of circumstance or, or that type of open sharing relationship between yourself and your kids? Well, and for a lot of for a lot of us, like we're um, I mean, for example, Facebook started what in like 2000, like really started in like 2006 or 2007, which would put our teenager, you know, put our some of our kids at 15, 16, 17 years old. And we haven't had that much experience with that. Um so we really have to, um, we really have to pay attention to what applications we're, we're dealing with, to, with what um, the warning signs. Like some of our children have, uh, we, we recognize when they're when something's not right, and if you're paying attention to those, like if kids aren't, if kids are withdrawing, if there's a subtle change in their social activity, if they're being suddenly more secretive, and I mean, I know it's hard with teenagers because from one day to the next, I'm not sure. Uh, which way is up or which way is down with them. But yeah. um, generally speaking, we understand, uh, you know, their their baseline behavior. And we need to really pay attention to that. And hopefully throughout their lives, we've, we've built that trust. And they understand that we are the people who they can come to in a moment of danger. Um, it is easy enough. Like, it's easy enough to say, too. I mean, um, I tell my I tell my kids do not put your private parts on the internet. End of story. Like that's that's what it is because you you know we can there are things that we can do to mitigate it if it happens and to try and um, try and get those pictures back. There are things we can do. Um, is it a hundred percent guaranteed? No. And does it does it help with the trauma that you're suffering or the embarrassment or? Um, whatever comes after, uh, people have seen it. Um, not necessarily. It helps a little bit, but um, there are some hard and fast rules. Don't put your private parts on the internet. Um, you know, but, but it's really it is really difficult to to find a way around it when we all don't necessarily understand it. We all had different upbringings. This is yeah. this is a different world, man. Well, and 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 even people think, well, it's not going to happen to me, right? I know I'm not supposed to put my private parts on the internet, but like that's like you know, if you don't know the person, but I feel like I know this person. I've been talking to them forever, and mm -hmm. I trust them. They sent me photos, and you know what I mean. I mean, it gets into this messy area. How the viewers like Rose are wondering how often. 
does this stuff happen? I mean, can, can you paint a, a would would we uh, this would probably be bone chilling for most of us if you were able to actually explain to us how frequently this happens, how often this happens, what the workload looks like for an ICE unit that's looking at Internet child exploitation. I mean, what's the landscape like, frankly, honestly? Uh, well, let's like let's get serious. We've had such an increase of 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 file intake that we've had to implement a triage protocol uh, this year because we simply cannot get to everything. Um, and if I'm being really frank, like we're, we're letting files go that we were investigating last you know, that were serious enough to investigate last year or the year before, because we have so many more serious things going on and we just don't have, uh, you know, it's, it's just like any, it's like any other, any other policing area. We don't have enough bodies. Um, our forensic techs, they do the heavy lifting here and they're the ones who, um, mine through all of this media and all the pictures and stuff. They do, uh, yeoman's work every single day. And, um, they're so we're, we're starting to get a little bit backlogged there because there's just, you know, we go to a house and we seize, you know, we'll, we'll rate a house and we'll seize like three or four or five, six devices. But as everybody knows, you can buy an iPhone that has, you know, 256 gigabytes of storage. That's a lot of pictures. So it takes a lot of time for these guys to go through that. And in some cases, you know, we, we find a dozen images and in other cases we find millions, mm. but um, the workload is very high. We're, we're dealing with, um, we're red, we're redlined. Uh, but, um, we're trying to, we're, we're implementing, uh, we're trying to implement, uh, a community engagement team. Um, we're working with our, the alert communications officer to try and get some sort of uh, a strategy out. Uh, we want to put parents in, you know, the prevention, education, intervention, and we want to put those parents in a position to protect their children. And it's very difficult to do when we're just, uh, we're, we're pretty strapped. Um, working files. Um, we're not in schools as much as we can as we can be. Um, I know in Edmonton the uh, the SRO program was basically cut in half, so we don't have those resources in the school putting it putting information out. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really tough for us to get out get out around the province to do anything but enforcement. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the workload the workload's pretty heavy, and uh, there there always seems to be. There's always an emergency on our plate, Ryan. Of course. Like, uh, there was one today, you know, this morning something came up and everybody puts what they're doing down and we go to that one. And um, it's it's tough. This And when you talk about the, uh, if, if, if parents are wondering about the self-generated SISM or the sextortion stuff, that happens all the time. Every single day we're getting handfuls of them and we don't have enough time to investigate them all. Um, a lot of them are getting put back out to RCMP detachments to, for them to go out to speak to the parents, um, back to the you know patrol in Edmonton to to go and reach out to the parents. But um, Carrie, how are these winding up on your plate? Like, how are they coming in? For, I mean, there's probably different ways, but but I mean, if mm-hmm. you're going to talk to the parents, is it the parents that have reported it? Is is it oftentimes youth that find themselves that they don't know who to call, so they call the police? I mean, how how do these files find their way to the ICE unit? Uh, most of our files, um, particularly the, so we have different types of investigations that we do. So we do the child luring, obviously we do the sextortions. We do, um, a lot of our files that come, a lot of the files that come into us are just possession. So we're, we're getting possession of child pornography files, mostly from Ottawa. So there's the national child exploitation crime center in Ottawa, which is our CMP run. Um, and they oversee most of the ICE units across the country. They triage a lot of these files. Now, a lot of people don't understand how we wind up at their door and they're like, how did you know? Well, in the, in the United States, there's legislation in place that uh, internet platforms, Facebook or uh, applications have to have a mechanism in place to intercept child pornography or child sexual abuse material. And then once that's intercepted, it gets sent to a center in the United States called um, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. That center is kind of the the brain for all of North America because then they figure out where 
this stuff was from. They're like, oh, it's from Edmonton. So we're going to send it up to Ottawa and they can deal with it from there. And then Ottawa will send it out to us. So um, that's how some of that comes in. Uh, we also get some other files that way. But uh, a lot of our files right now and a lot of our emergencies are our, our high priority files are coming in from um, street level police officers asking for assistance. And um, it's... Uh, it's something that a child luring or um, sextortion gone really sideways. Uh, a lot of that stuff comes in from, from people reporting to uh, the front counters or calling into the yeah. police. Do you feel like there's a, like, is there a shelf life for, for someone like you doing the work that you're doing? You, you talk about these forensic techs as well. I can't even, uh, I would imagine that there's a, there's a, gotta be a mental health angle to that. There's gotta be for some of these, uh, people working in policing, combing through this stuff, like PTSD, not for everybody, but I, I would imagine, I, I can't even imagine. I don't know how I would deal with, I would experience anger, grief, horror. Like, how, how do you show up to work every single day? I mean, I, I guess maybe as a dad, that probably provides some motivation, but could, can you see yourself having maybe a, maybe needing to transition to something else at some point in your career? Absolutely. Um, Listen, the people I work with are, are an amazing group of people. Um, we have civilians in here. We have Edmonton Police Service members, RCMP members. We're a joint force operation. And there's not a single person here who doesn't want to come in and make a difference every single day. And um, right from our intake, we have criminal analysts here who do, um, they tear these people's lives apart to figure out who our bad guy is. Uh, incredible work. Our forensic techs, like you'd mentioned, do the really heavy lifting here and uh, highly trained, too. Uh, these guys are amazing. Um, and uh, it, it doesn't stop at us, too. Crown prosecutors, we yeah. work with Zebra Center all the time. And, yeah, it's, it's tough to come in sometimes when you know what you're about to deal with. But we, uh, we, we stick together and um, we've, started, uh, we've started implementing um, a pretty robust mental wellness program in our office. And... Uh, for our counterparts in um, in Calgary Ice too, so we're we're really uh, we're really working towards um, uh, propping up our members with uh, a lot more support from Ottawa, from Edmonton, and, and from the RCMP. So, um, yeah, there is a, is there shelf life? Absolutely, you can't you can't do this for for a very long time, and um, it's good experience, very rewarding. We're arresting a lot of people. We're doing a, a lot of good stuff here, and. Uh, but at the same time, like you said, it is, I'd be lying if I said, uh, it didn't bother me ever, you know, every day you look at this stuff, you can't, uh, you don't, you don't desensitize people say, are you desensitized? No. Um, you have, uh, like you said, horror, anger, sadness. Um, there's a lot of different, uh, there's a lot of different emotions when you're looking at some of this stuff and it's not just a lot of this stuff is really, really traumatizing. Like we're seeing some. You know, you see everything from uh, from infants right up to, to teenagers. Sometimes adults get mixed into it accidentally. And sure. you're trying to help them out, too. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people with regards to this specific scenario and the arrest that was made uh, in Portland. A lot of people were wondering why there wasn't an Amber Alert issue. Did that have to do with a lack of information at the time about a suspect or a vehicle description? Why was there no Amber Alert issued? Can you tell us? I don't. I don't know. Um I don't know enough about the investigation, Ryan, to to comment on that. Um, I know that there's some pretty stringent criteria for an Amber Alert to be issued, and uh, if I were guessing, it would be that they didn't have they didn't meet the criteria. Okay. But I don't have the details as to what decision making process was uh, there. I'll just reference the reporting that was done by uh, this is uh, Gada Al Sharif, a staff reporter with the star. I'm referencing her story at the star.com and, and uh, I suppose a police uh, spokesperson or or at least some uh, spokesperson for law enforcement had said that citizen uh, feedback, uh, community closed circuit televisions. I don't know if that was people providing uh, doorbell cameras, or things like that. I, you had seen that plea go out, which was really interesting as part of the early stage investigation where police were saying, if, if, if you saw anything suspicious, even something that may not have seemed suspicious at the time, but in retrospect, you look back or a vehicle or or if there was any uh, sort of cameras firing and, you know, with regards, you take a look at your hard drive. What can you provide us? This sort of a thing. I would imagine that through an investigation like this, the amount of data uh, you start 
start asking people near a junior high school to all provide doorbell camera footage. I mean, you know, every second house has one now. Uh, there's a lot to go through. Uh, obviously, th- there's some stuff that you can't tell us about how these investigations go, but I, I can't imagine the work that went into making that arrest uh, down in Portland. When an arrest like that occurs, and I do not mean to diminish or to overlook the healing that this young person will, will I mean, her life obviously will never be the same um, for sure, the same as her family, but at the same time uh, of all possible outcomes, this is one of the better ones. There's got to be a huge sense of relief, including international police agencies working together. What sort of an impact does an arrest like this have, including the opportunity to do interviews like this, to talk to families, to talk to parents, to talk to teens and young people as well? I would imagine this is this is an opportunity to say, hey, here's a, a a real portrayal. Uh, here, here, this is this is probably going to be hard for some of you to believe, but but here's what's actually going on right now, and here's what we need you to know about it. Yeah, and I can speak a little bit about the this type of an investigation. Um, when I worked over in uh, in homicide, it was we we went after doorbell cams, um, dash cams, and stuff like that a lot of the time. And you are 100 percent right. The um, the impact that has on an investigative team in terms of uh, labor and time, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work because once you take it, you have to look at it. Um, you could imagine the questions that would be asked in court if we took some information and, and didn't actually review it properly. So once that call is made, it's a, pretty, it's, a, it's a pretty scrutinized call before it's made because of the amount of work that it's going to cause the investigative team. Um, and in terms of the impact and the opportunity that something like this provides, uh, it's a, you know, and, and again, I'll echo your thoughts. It's, it's notwithstanding the impact it's going to have on the victim here. But uh, yeah, it brings it right to the for- forefront. This is, this is real life. This is what happens in our world every single day. And it's, if we're not, if we don't have our head up and we're not understanding what our kids are doing, they're going to be in a position, whether they act on it or not, they're going to be in a position to be tricked into doing something that they either don't want to do or shouldn't be doing. And uh, it goes back to having a relationship with your children and understanding and making an environment where it's safe and comfortable for them to come to you and tell you that something is wrong. Yeah, It's not their fault. These are kids, man. Like they, they don't know. They don't have the experience. Um, they've probably never tricked anybody. They've probably never tried to obtain something fraudulently like these guys are doing. These are professionals. These are people who are motivated, highly motivated, and uh, are looking are are predators. They're they're bad people. They're criminals, and um, we need to really make that. A lot of emphasis is put on making that environment safe and comfortable for your children to talk to you. That's what that's what it ends up being. I don't know if you're going to want to comment on this, uh, but but let me ask you this in closing. This this 41 year old Oregon man that was arrested in Portland uh, will be charged with child luring. Uh, expected to face additional charges in Canada and the U.S. Uh, typically, law enforcement officers don't prefer this question. But do you believe that legislation? Do you believe that penalties are are strong enough do you believe do you believe that they act as deterrence i mean is is somebody like this even if convicted even if this person pleads guilty or pleads down to a lesser charge um what does the future look like for them i mean can they be back at it in 18 months with a brand new computer i mean what, what's your opinion on that if you're willing to comment on it yeah i'll comment on that a little bit um i think generally speaking um and in context of our of Canadian law, I believe that our punishments for these types of offenses are sufficient. Now, that's uh, you know a, a professional a professional opinion, and I think that's what I've seen. Um, our prosecutors do a bang up job with our cases, and they're on top of us uh, a lot more than I've seen in some other areas to get these cases uh, shored up and tightened up. Um, are our penalties as, uh, as as steep as the United States? Absolutely not. Um, you see, I mean, we all know we see we see news the the American news and people going to jail for like 199 years or something like that. And um, would we like you know 
would we like to see that in some cases? A lot of people, yeah, they would. And um, or worse, yeah, or worse, yeah. Um, but in Canada, uh, contextually speaking, I think that we do a pretty good job, and I think our laws are in line with everything else mm. right and, now, and consistent with with the yes. rest of the criminal code, and consistent with how we approach so-called justice yeah. in other areas. There are days, there are days, Ryan, where I'm sitting here looking at the the same screen I'm looking at right now, and um, I have some some pretty angry thoughts. Oh, I but uh, I bet. Yeah, I would. I, I don't want to. I don't want to put you in a tough spot. Starting to speculate and ruminate about all of the ways that I believe that some of these people could or should be punished. And I imagine if we talk to parents of kids that have been abducted, they'll have their own ideas as well. But that's not what we're here to do. Uh, we're here to equip people with the knowledge and the tools they need to to be able to to sniff this stuff out and keep it from impacting their own households. Uh, Sergeant, before we thank you for your time, obviously you have incredibly important work to do today. Uh, is there anything with regards to tips or heads up or red flags for parents that we've not touched on that you'll kick yourself if we don't mention um i think the big thing is they need to be parents first of all need to be in a position to protect their kids and that's incumbent upon them to do and take the time review your kids devices it's tough with teenagers yeah but have the conversations with them instead um understand the apps if your kids are on roblox if your kids are on discord if your kids are on snapchat there are parents guides online for all of those and they're easy to read. And the, and the last thing, and probably the most important thing, is that if your kids put pictures on the internet or are being tricked, or you suspect they're being tricked, there is something that we can do. There's a pro- program called Project Arachnid that is run by the um, Canadian Centre for Child Protection out of Winnipeg. And that application, we work directly with them and our victim identification unit in Ottawa. If we get the images that your kids have put onto the internet, we can submit them directly to that program and it crawls the web looking for that image. And when it finds it, it's, it submits a takedown notice to that, to that website. Um, and, the, and, and they also provide a lot of um, victim support okay. as well. So people can check out project arachnid.ca. We're looking at that uh, right now and, and we'll put that into the uh, show notes here on YouTube and on the podcast uh, we're so grateful uh, for your availability this morning, Sergeant. It is uh, incredibly difficult yet important work, life-saving work that you and your team are doing. Uh, you've been hearing from Sergeant Kerry Shima with the RCMP Operations NCO for the Alert Northern Alberta ICE Unit. That's the Internet Child Exploitation Unit. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Sarge. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for the opportunity to to share the awareness. We, we really appreciate that. Hey, I mean, literally, it could save a life. Pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? When a senior law enforcement official acknowledges that they're having to triage cases, that they just don't have the resources or the personnel to adequately address the threats that they know exist. We're sure grateful for Sergeant Shima's willingness to go on the record and shine some light where it needs to be shone. Now, as mentioned, when Sergeant Shima joined us, Anna Savage was in touch right after that interview aired. And just a couple of days later, on July 6th, she joined us to tell her family's bone-chilling story. If you missed it, you don't have to be a parent or a caregiver to be interested in this one or to learn something for that matter. You'll want to catch it and then share it with people you care about. Anna Savage in just a second, but first, a word from our sponsors. For more than 65 years, Friesen Brothers has been putting really great food on family tables across the province of Alberta. Still family-owned, Friesen Brothers is a proud member of 16 different communities, where on the first of the month, you can take 15% off every grocery order of more than $75. Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown, Alberta owned. Park Power is your friendly local utilities provider. Whether you're looking for electricity, natural gas, or internet, or maybe all three, you owe it to yourself to compare rates today on their website, parkpower.ca. 
Along with it comes a charitable contribution. What other utilities provider does that? Don't forget when you sign up, the promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill from Park Power. Kubi Energy wants to remind Canadians there's a $40,000 interest-free loan available from the federal government for homeowners looking to install solar. It's never been more energy efficient nor affordable to go green at home. The team at Kubi is experts. They handle all the paperwork and of course it's professionally installed. Get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Covenant Health has made a huge difference for patients and their loved ones for more than 160 years. And for 30 years, the Covenant Foundation Lottery has played a role in making a difference for those in their care. Every ticket purchased has a far-reaching impact. Thanks to you, Covenant Health is at the forefront of technological innovations and a leader in palliative and urgent care. Get your tickets today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food is what we feed our dogs, Moses and Monroe. Need I say any more? We've noticed the health benefits with each of them, from a shinier coat to alleviation of joint pain. Quality says it all. You can shop online today at granddog.ca. The promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first time order. Delivered to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta at granddog.ca. All right, let's get serious for a second. This is the, a, a story of a, a 13-year-old Edmonton girl that, that wound up in Portland, Oregon, abducted, uh, allegedly, by this 41-year-old man who's now facing charges, uh, an Oregon man. And it's got people talking about child luring. It's got people talking about child exploitation. It's got people having a lot of important conversations. Uh, and we're glad that those conversations are happening as difficult as they may be. In just a second, we're going to welcome a mom to the show. Anna Savage reached out to us. She's willing to share her story. But I wanted to read this letter first from Amanda. We got this to talk at ryanjesperson.com just yesterday. She said, I listened to your interview uh, with uh, the sergeant, with the RCMP sergeant, uh, Dr. Kerry Sheehan. Why do I keep calling him doctor? Sergeant Carrie Sheem of the RCMP, the Internet Child Exploitation Unit. They call it the ICE Unit. Uh, says, I listened to that interview and I was very grateful uh, to hear you discuss the importance of educating kids about technology. Amanda says, I worked in a daycare for five years, public schools for three years. Now I work uh, at a place called Discover Coding. It's a local business that teaches computer science, digital safety, and coding to kids. How neat is that? Says, I learned very early on in my career that kids are exposed to dangerous situations online as early as five years old. And this can include pornography. It can include strangers trying to connect with them and certainly online bullying. Uh, Amanda says, I want to reinforce the message that was shared by Sergeant Shima about educating kids and, and parents and trust in particular. I don't believe that removing tech from kids is the answer necessarily. Tech's here to stay. We need to make sure kids understand how to navigate it, how to use it safely for the rest of their lives. Early on, parents need to be regularly introducing conversations on consent, on engaging with strangers online, and on digital citizenship. Says, I strongly recommend parents visit Common Sense Media. Uh, Amanda, I'm so glad you mentioned it. We actually have an interview request in with them. Uh, it's an amazing website, it is, that has tools to help kids understand digital safety and the internet. They also review apps and games and websites for parents. Amanda says, I also recommend, recommend checking out our educational technology programs at Discover Coding, where we use the platforms that kids already love to teach them how to safely use and enjoy technology in a meaningful and valuable way. Amanda says, thanks for bringing more real conversations to the community. Thanks for helping us all engage in this important dialogue. Amanda, thank you. So again, that's Discover Coding. You can Google it. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to our conversation with a spokesperson from Common Sense Media. There's an expert in particular we're trying to get. She's an expert uh, when it comes to kids and tech and online safety uh, tips for parents, things to keep in mind. There's a lot we don't know about isn't there? Let's be honest. And it's so easy to all of a sudden become blindsided by something. That's the story. That's our next guest, really. Anna Savage is the mom to three teenage girls. She's a real talker. And she reached out to us on the heels of our conversation with Sergeant Shima. Anna, it means a lot to have you here. We appreciate you taking the time to talk about something that is pretty personal for you and your loved ones, isn't it? 
Yeah, thanks, Ryan. It, it is personal and, and it's important. And so uh, I'm grateful to be able to share our story so that others can learn before it's too late. Anna, what was the deal? You've got three teenage girls. Uh, they have access to technology, obviously. As a parent, you're probably wanting to be, quote unquote, normal and give them their space. But at some point in your households, red flags started waving. Yeah, absolutely. So really, one of our daughters ended up in a high risk, a high risk situation that we caught uh, literally uh, the day before um, there was supposed to be uh, like a meetup. And um, and we are in a home where all of the schools they went to had their cyber safety week and taught the kids and how to be safe. And we taught about it. I, I work in a field where I uh, provide all kinds of ad, uh, advice on privacy and information security and information management. So they were, we were always having those conversations um, and the teaching was happening, um, including the parental controls. And what occurred in the situation of one of our daughters is she was on Instagram and, uh, and really, I think a classic predatory situation where these kids are on Instagram and and then somebody with a cool profile starts liking all of their posts and putting comments. And, and the reason they're doing that is they're building rapport, right? And so this really cool guy is like got lots of followers and seems really awesome and he's liking everything and they're responding, thank you so much. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. This goes on for a bit. And then eventually he reached out by message, direct message. And at that point, they've now friended them and they've shared with their friends. And there's, uh, they feel like there's actual real, a relationship occurring where there's a connection. Um, and they thought he was another kid their age. He was not. Um, and it progressed to where it became sexual content. And, and then uh, he began to share images of himself. And I really appreciated Sergeant Shima on Monday saying, how if a kid, if we're doing, we're actually being good parents and protecting our kids, they don't know what trickery is. So they're not looking for it, right? And that's good to, to keep in mind. We, you know, we, the, the, these kids are naive. Is actually parents doing their job, right? We're protecting them and keeping them safe. So they're not expecting it. So then what he did was he started sharing photos. And, and they really, if they're good at predation, they understand those social contracts. If I do something for you, you do something for me. And if you're a preteen, social contracts, that's your life. If you don't know how to do social contracts, you're not connecting. You're not, you know, you don't have friends. So they understand that. So he sends photos and then he starts saying, well, I sent you something. Can you send me something? And so despite even my education in the field I work in and saying, it doesn't matter if you know the person, it's the secondary sharing. That's the risk. You don't know what they're going to do with your information when you share it, even despite all that she still shared some photos and it ultimately led to where they had arranged a meetup and he had sent an address and she was going to go to school the next morning, like in theory, and she was then actually going to take the bus to this address and meet him. And I, we caught it the day before that happened. Anna, at this point, how old was your daughter? She had just turned 14. 14. And so how did this plan wind up on your radar? I mean, were you, were you taking a look through her social media? Did she feel that she was in too deep and volunteer it? Right. So, no, I would just wonder if that ever happens. I don't know. Maybe it does. Do, do kids ever? I don't know if they know if they're in too deep, right? I, yeah, great point. Yeah. And so, no, it was her dad, my husband, um, and they had a very difficult relationship during that time. He was on her constantly about her phone. We had house rules. Can't have your, can't have technology at the table, supper table, breakfast table. Right. But then outside that, he's like, if she's not doing something, she's on her phone all the time. She has her door closed. I'd, and he was constantly on her and their relationship was really tense. And he kept saying, I don't like this. I don't like doing this. She's really addicted to this. And, and we'd set rules and then, you know, she'd try to kind of push the push back at him. And so they had a really difficult relationship. And I was more like, well, you know, she's you're, can, you're being a little harsh. Can you just say it nicely? <laughs> you know, like trying to be like, just like trying to facilitate like, oh, you're being really hard on her, but also I hear what you're saying. And, and, and what had happened was when the girls were really little and we started thinking about somebody babysitting or stuff, we had a conversation in their early years where we agreed that if either of us were ever in a situation where only one of us 
felt uncomfortable with leaving the child there or were having spidey senses, that we would always default to the person who felt the least comfortable. Yeah. So we made that rule early on. We're like, so so what happened was something happened that one day she we're working full-time jobs. So we don't know that she was leaving school early and going to the mall and trying to arrange some of these meetings um, and kept getting interrupted by dad. And um, so I realized that when I got home from work, I'd come home early that day, she wasn't there. And so then my husband said, something's going on. I don't know what it is, but you need to do something. And I was, essentially he was bad cop at that point, I was good cop. So I said, okay, this is our agreement. And I said to her, I need to look at your phone. Yeah. Your dad has some real concerns. I share some concerns now. I feel you're not being honest. I have to look at your phone right now. You need to give me the phone and I'm going to give you the names, the option. You're going to tell me the code and I'm going to go in and, in front, and I'm going to look at these. So like full disclosure, right? And so she did and, and I found everything and um, I've never actually shared any, I took screenshots of everything and I've never actually shared all of that with my husband I don't he, he I don't think he could handle it I just shared enough to say to him there's something happening and and she's in real danger so where do you go from there I mean you you, you obviously you entered the timing of it your husband's gut instinct the spidey senses yeah. as you call them the timing who knows what could have happened mm-hmm. right uh, mm-hmm. But what was the resulting impact on your relationship with your daughter? I mean, you know, fast forward to present day when you look back on this. How long ago was this? Well, and so this happened in 2020, right before the pandemic. So just a couple and, years ago. Yeah, just and and I and I want to say this carefully because I'm so aware that there has been terrible losses from the pandemic. It has been a terrible thing for many. But this this situation occurred a week before all of the schools were shut down and all the kids were sent home. And that timing, it saved our family because all of a sudden I'm working remotely. So I'm home all day and she's now home all day and they're all, and all of their friends are all home. And so we, it just um, brought us together as a family unit where we, I could actually monitor and give her the support she desperately needed at a critical time that I'm not sure what we would have done if not for actually that circumstance. We had talked about actually pulling her from school and for me actually making arrangements to work remotely um, to support her. And the interesting thing is once she was caught and I mean, at minimum, at minimum, there was, when you have that level of deceit, there is, this is not an individual looking for a consensual relationship. There, at minimum, there was going to be um, harm done to her that's a given. Um, the worst case scenario would be that, you know, loss of life. So, so yeah. the, the, even the best case scenario wasn't going to be a good scenario. So she began to understand that. Um, and, um, and of course, all this got reported. And in, in fact, the individual fully confessed once they knew I had screenshots of everything. Um, so that actually saved us a lot of challenges around that situation because they did a full confession. Well, and I wanted to ask you, when you say a confession, what do you mean? I mean, was this reported to police? What do we know about this person? Yeah. So uh, the following day, of course, we submitted a report, but prior to, <laughs> I don't recommend this, but prior to that, uh, of, um, th- because the person had given their address, um, so my husband actually went to that address. And I know, Ryan, you said, I don't know what I would do as a father. And that's such a good thing to think about because he actually went to the address and the individual was at the door but the door was locked and he was kind of like what are you doing here because who shows up at someone's door and he identified himself I am the father of wow and and actually in that moment I think had lucidity to go I don't trust myself in this moment and said you need to call somebody right now because if you open that door I do not trust what I'm going to do to you so that individual actually did call a brother and sister-in-law and 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 they came and uh, and so then um, anyhow I I got involved in terms of they called me and we said we're going to be placing we're making a report. Um, you should know though that because of course they were like he would never do this. We were raised in a religious home and he's a good religious man and he's like kindest person. And I was like, so you we have screenshots. Yeah, you want to see the should, receipts exactly. Yeah. 
And I said, you, you, I, I would, and I would not share these with these family members. I said, first of all, I don't want to reshare these, but also you should probably get some support if you're prepared to see these. Right. And so, um, so then we, then they actually got involved and he did a full confession and turned himself in and, and, and that got taken over and they have our, they had our screenshots so that then we were no longer involved. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully he got the help he needed. Uh, his family was devastated um so it definitely has ripple effects yeah um it was traumatic for them um and thankfully he has people in his life that care right um and and so that and then in terms of dad um i was able to share with her how it was escalating and we were able to really walk through timelines and when it was discovered and she realized she'd been had um then she you actually saw relief like you've saved me. Like, you know, there was just a relief that came over her. And I was able to say all of these times, this situation would have escalated much more quickly before we could have intervened. Had your father not been a pain in the ass. Right. Yeah. And here's a Like, here's a chat where she's like, my dad's being an asshole. I got to go. My dad's making me get off my phone. I got to go. My dad's telling me I have to come out of my room. I got how many chats, messages between them that got intercepted because he was like on her and so i was able to say to her your dad this is love this may not sometimes feel like love but this is what love looks like if you've questioned your dad loves you this is love and it really healed their relationship going forward wow so ultimately, I mean, I, and I would imagine this must have been, you know, I, I mean, we, we don't, of course, want to identify your daughter. So we won't have her on the show to talk about this. But I would <laughs> but I would imagine in, in her conversations in, in these special and, and maybe difficult moments, uh, these mother daughter moments as well, the journey that she was on uh, of when you realize like 14, you're 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 an old young kid or you're a young yeah. old teen, like you're kind of in that middle like you're figure, you're you're old enough to get your learner's permit, but you're too young to draw. You know, you're and 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 these life experiences, realizing that you've been manipulated, realizing you've been duped and strung along, realizing that quite frankly you were being targeted by mm-hmm. a predator. Um, that would really do something to a young person. Uh, how's your daughter doing today? You know, she's good, and part of the reason she got pulled in, and our other two daughters were always extremely careful. And always like, oh, be careful of, be, like, they're like, be careful if you use this game because there's, you know, you got to watch who texts you. So the other two are super hypervigilant and she wasn't is her, her psychological construct is different, right? Everybody's different and her needs were different. And so she got pulled in because she needed something that was, that was meeting that need. And she, we, we got her into therapy and she's that she is not the same person, her personal growth through all of this, she has um, just turned to, into an exceptional um, person who is is a delight um, to have as part of our family who's very engaged. And we as a family have become very close through all of this um, because, you know, you realize it's a safe space that we're, we, that ultimately the things we do is because we love each other. And that's also why I say to parents, let those kids hate you during those years. Junior high years, be vigilant. It is not enough just to teach. You need to be monitoring them and let them be mad at you for it because love sometimes is tough. Mm. Anna, I told you in our correspondence ahead of this interview, I said, I have no doubt that your story is going to resonate with and benefit a countless number of people. The people that are going to hear this, I guarantee we're going to get feedback from others that are sharing, unfortunately, uh, similar stories. I'm so grateful that it has, for all intents and purposes, a positive outcome uh, what an unbelievable example of that that parental intuition and the need to act on it. Thank you so much for being willing to talk about something so personal today, Anna. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. Anna's interview on the show is such a great reminder that many times it's you, our audience members, the real talkers that can drive the editorial content of this show. Sure, it's great to talk to the executive directors or the chairpersons or the CEOs, but it's the people on the ground whose stories 
are the most powerful. You can be in touch with us anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. If something you've heard on the show is resonating with you, or maybe it's the flip type scenario where you're not hearing something on the show, you're not seeing it reported in the so-called mainstream media, and you think it deserves and demands attention. Talk at ryanjesperson.com or the hashtag RealTalkRJ is where you can find us. And of course, connect with us by signing up for our email newsletter right now at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.